This is the American Tapestry Project, where we seek to weave America's many stories into a tapestry of American possibilities. Welcome back, fellow weavers, and if this is your first time, welcome. Welcome to the American Tapestry Project. I'm Andrew Roth, a scholar-in-residence at the Jefferson Educational Society in Erie, Pennsylvania. Before we begin today, a short housekeeping note. Occasionally, we'll be interrupted by the sound of an old-fashioned school bell. To signal a sidebar, sometimes called a pedantic aside, but always a look at a special topic. Today's sidebars include, what is Global Summit 13? And, who are its headliners? We're going to use today's sidebars to highlight the Jefferson Educational Society's upcoming Global Summit 13. More about that later. The bell signals a sidebar we'll explore. What is the American Tapestry Project? The American Tapestry seeks to find the pattern of American culture created by the many threads of our many stories. Threads, which are what St. Augustine meant when he said, A nation is a multitude of rational beings united, united by the common objects of their love. So, we have to ask ourselves, what do we love in common? Turns out, one of the things Americans love is music and songs challenging Americans to be true to the ideals that they say they cherish. This is the third of a three-part series on protest music during which we discovered that maybe the label protest music isn't quite accurate, doesn't quite fully capture the breadth and depth of what I am beginning to think of as, beginning to think of as America's freedom songs. Actually, many will claim that protest music, America's freedom songs, are among our most patriotic music. For, if one of the American Tapestry Project's major threads is freedom's fault lines, those tales of race and gender, those tales of exclusion and the many times America did not live up to its stated ideals, then protest music, the songs those excluded sang as they fought for inclusion, then protest music is a key, a vital thread in the American Tapestry. One of the things we've discovered is that this music is much older than many a myopic boomer might imagine. Older, older in fact, than the American nation itself. As we heard, it's entirely possible that the first American protest song was that venerable children's tune, Yankee Doodle, which began its career as an American comeback to British insults. While its musical form might take any shape, from rock to classical to rap, a protest song, a freedom song, seeks to alter or change society's values, seeks to correct a wrong, seeks to bring American practice more in line with American values. It's cause-oriented, speaking to a social wrong needing correction. Protest songs are almost always linked, almost always linked to movements seeking change. Protest music, the sound of freedom, the sound of those masses Emma Lazarus said were yearning to be free, Protest music is, ironically, one of America's great contributions to world culture. Double irony, maybe such music could only exist in a free society, even if that society's freedom is unequally distributed and often fractured and abused. Today, today we'll explore the career of someone frequently called America's greatest writer of protest songs. Someone who rejected the label, saying he didn't write protest songs, or at least didn't anymore, 
and resented being typecast. Today, today we ask what to make of Bob Dylan, who said he wasn't working on Maggie's farm no more, and that it wasn't him, babe, you were looking for, if a protest singer is what you wanted. Today's question, was Bob Dylan a protest singer? Protest songs, topical songs, songs in the American grain, an integral and important thread, threads in the American Tapestry Project. Once, some years ago, at an NCAA meeting of all things, I sat at one of those round tables for 10 that are conference meeting luncheon staples. As I recall, there were eight or nine of us, none of us knew each other, and someone proposed an icebreaker to, well, to break the ice. It was proposed that we tell something about ourselves no one was ever likely to guess. I told them that I had once been a chimney sweep, but a woman across the table said, My mother was Bob Dylan's high school girlfriend. Her mother was, literally, the girl from the North Country. As everything with Bob Dylan, there is some ambiguity about the girl from the North Country's identity. I don't recall the woman at the NCAA meeting's name, so I can't verify her claim. A woman named Bonnie Beecher is sometimes mentioned, but the person most frequently identified as the girl from the North Country is Echo Hellstrom. Hellstrom's obituaries, she died in January 2018 at age 75, all note her relationship at Hibbing High School with Bob Zimmerman. A bit of an outsider, Hellstrom was considered the most beautiful girl at Hibbing High. This was the late 50s and Bridget Bardot was a big deal. Hellstrom was a blonde and mature for her age. Bob Zimmerman, Bob Dylan, took her to the prom in 1958. He wrote in her yearbook, Let me tell you that your beauty is second to none. Love to the most beautiful girl in school. Whether for Bonnie Beecher, Echo Hellstrom, or someone else, here is Bob Dylan's The Girl from the North Country. If you're traveling in the North Country fire Where the winds hit heavy on the borderline Remember me to one who lives there For she once was a true lover man If you go when the snowflakes storm When the rivers freeze and summer ends Please see she has a coat so warm To keep her from the howling wind Please see if her hair hangs long If it rolls and flows all down her breast Please see for me if her hair's hanging long For that's the way I remember her best This year marks Global Summit 13. Hard to believe we've come this far since Global Summit 1 in 2009, 
That one was headlined by E.J. Dion and historian Paul Kennedy. Over the years, the summit has featured luminaries like New York Times colonist David Brooks, CNN pundit Chris Matthews, NPR's Cokie Roberts, political operative Carl Rove, Washington Post columnist David Ignatius, historian Doug Brinkley, and authors George Will and Doris Kearns Goodwin, and, literally, an A-list of other top-ranked speakers. Annually, it's far and away eerie in Northwest Pennsylvania's premier gathering of thinkers and national leaders. This year's lineup is as star-studded as ever, headlined by former President George W. Bush, an encore appearance by Doris Kearns Goodwin, and other notables such as Jeffrey Rosen from the National Constitution Center, Kayola Brown and DeWitt Walton, Camille Busset, a frequent Jefferson presenter, a trio of women historians on the history of First Ladies, Andrew Card, President Bush's chief of staff talking about how the White House functions, and Robert Pape from the University of Chicago speaking on, speaking on a topic that is really critical to us today, political violence and the future of American democracy. It's quite a lineup. That's Global Summit 13 from November 1st to November 12th. Tickets can be purchased at the Jefferson Educational Society website, www.jeserie.org, or by calling the Society at 814-459-8000. Hurry, seating is limited. Bob Dylan. He's everywhere and he's nowhere. But he is most definitely not the Beatles' nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. He's been at center stage in American culture for 60 years. Count him. At 80, he's still giving voice to truths many can't hear, although he long ago rejected being straight-jacketed as the voice of a generation. No, he's not the voice of a generation. He's the voice of generations. Recipient of the Nobel Prize in Literature for, as the award stated, having created new poetic expressions within the great American song tradition, he might also be the greatest poet of his generation. Dylan himself expressed surprise at receiving the award, remarking that if someone had ever told me that I had the slightest chance of winning the Nobel Prize, I would have to think that I'd have about the same odds as standing on the moon. Regardless of his surprise, a case can be made that he is, if not the greatest poet of his generation, then he is certainly one of the most important American, if not global, poets of his time. In fact, researching for this episode, I was stunned rediscovering the scope of Dylan's accomplishment. Since at least the early mid-1960s, I've been an on-again, off-again Bob Dylan. Mm, I don't like the word fan, borrowed from sports culture and shorthand for fanatic. So let's say that for that long time, I've been an appreciator of Dylan's art. But I'm not a Dylanologist like Richard Thomas who wrote Why Bob Dylan Matters. Like Thomas, however, I've begun to realize that, in fact, Bob Dylan does matter. That he is, in fact, David Foster Wallace, Thomas Pynchon, Margaret Atwood, Philip Glass, Steven Spielberg, and whomever else one cares to name notwithstanding, that Dylan is our generation's greatest artist. Such an assertion requires a theory, as Louis Menand points out somewhere in his encyclopedic history of art and thought during the Cold War era, The Free World, in the weekly book notes column I write for the Jefferson Society, which you can find under publications at their website, www.jeserie.org, I have repeatedly said that the poetry I admire most must deploy plain, lucid, transparent language, helping one become more present to the present. 
thereby becoming more present to oneself. Well, whether or not Dylan is the greatest poet of his time, the question of the moment still asked, is Bob Dylan, or was he, a protest singer? The answer to which, as are many things involving Bob Dylan, the answer to which is yes and no and yes again. First, what is a protest singer? Simplistically, a protest singer sings songs, protest songs. So, simplistically, a protest singer sings protest songs, which, as any first-year logic student will quickly tell me, is fallacious circular reasoning. So, to break the circle and go back to the beginning, what is a protest song? As we have discovered in the previous two episodes, while the musical style may be rock, classical, pop, or folk in form, a protest song comments on current events as it seeks to alter or change society or society's values. Protest songs are cause-oriented. They speak to a social wrong needing correction. They are almost always linked to movements seeking change. They have two purposes, maybe three. One, to expose a wrong. Two, to draw attention to the movement seeking to right that wrong. And three, to energize the movement's supporters. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Freedom songs, freedom songs invigorate the movement. They give it unity and spirit. Do any of Bob Dylan's songs meet that definition? Obviously, the answer is yes. As Mike Marchese notes in Red Pepper, a British quarterly of politics and culture, the protest songs that made Dylan famous, and with which he continues to be associated, were written in a brief period of about 20 months, from January 1962 to November 1963. Although from 1962 to 2020, Dylan released 39 studio albums, 12, 12 live albums, 95 singles, and numerous other recordings and soundtracks, the legendary protest songs are found primarily in Dylan's first three albums, Bob Dylan, The Free Wheelin' Bob Dylan, and The Times They Are A-Changin'. The songs include such classics as The Death of Emmett Till, Let Me Die in My Footsteps, Blowin' in the Wind, the hard rains are going to fall, only a pawn in their game, with God on our side, masters of war, when the ship comes in, the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll, ballad of Hollis Brown, North Country Blues, and although it didn't appear until 1965's album Bringing It All Back Home, Maggie's Farm. If you're counting, that's 11 titles. They represent a small portion of the literally hundreds of songs Dylan has composed and performed. The complete list can be found at bobdylan.com. There are more, which, ranging from blues to winsome love songs to plaintive meditations on the events of the day, all begin to hint at why in its ranking of the greatest songwriters of all time, which should really be called the last 75 years, or the rhythm and blues rock country pop era, why Rolling Stone lists Bob Dylan number one, the greatest songwriter of all time. Before looking at several of Dylan's songs to see if they meet the protest song criteria, let's briefly note the Global Summit's headline presenter. This year, for the first time, the Jefferson Society Global Summit will feature a former president of the United States, George W. Bush. Bush will be introduced by Erie's own, former Pennsylvania governor and first secretary of Homeland Security, Erie's own Tom Ridge. Joining Ridge in a question-and-answer session prior to President Bush's remarks, will be Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey. Global Summit Chairman Steve Scully will moderate the evening. President Bush will speak on Tuesday, November 9th at 7 p.m. at the Bayfront Convention Center. 
Tickets can be purchased at the Jefferson Society website, www.jeserie.org, or by calling the Society at 814-459-8000. Hurry, seating is limited. Well, let's take a look at the case of Bob Dylan, protest singer, yes or no. On almost any list of great protest songs, you'll find several by Bob Dylan. Not all date from the early mid-1960s. A few, like Hurricane, a few come later. Let's take a look at four or five and see if they meet the protest song definition of 1. Exposing a wrong 2. Drawing attention to a movement seeking to right that wrong and 3. If they energize the movement's supporters. Almost immediately, we'll discover that ambiguity I hinted at by saying yes, no, and yes to Dylan as a protest singer. For example, A Hard Rain's A Gonna Fall has almost always been described as an anti-nuclear bomb song, an offshoot of the late 1950s Ban the Bomb movement, and also as a specific response to the Cuban Missile Crisis of October 1962. Written first as a poem, The song follows the call-and-response form of traditional folk ballads, in particular the Anglo-Scottish border ballad Lord Randall, which consists of a dialogue between mother and son in which the mother discovers discovers her son has been poisoned. To begin each verse of his song, Dylan used the ballad's opening two lines, Oh, where have you been, Lord Randall, my son? Oh, where have you been, my handsome young man? Dylan's song is suffused with powerful symbolic imagery of death and destruction raining down, of pellets of poison flooding their waters, of a man wounded with hatred, of a white man who walked a black dog, and where a home in the valley meets the dark, dirty prison. For those who wanted to adopt the song as a protest against the Cuban Missile Crisis, there was a small problem. Dylan first performed it during a hootenanny. A hootenanny was a folk music concert, Dylan first performed it almost a month before the crisis. Also, the song never explicitly mentions nuclear war or the bomb. Later, in an interview with Studs Terkel, Dylan disavowed the atomic rain, saying, It isn't fallout rain, but about all the lies people get told. Here is Bob Dylan's A Hard Rain's A Gonna Fall. Oh, where have you been? My blue-eyed son And where have you been My darling young one I've stumbled on the side Of twelve misty mountains I've walked and I crawled On six crooked highways I've stepped in the middle Of seven side forests I've been out in front of a dozen dead oceans I've been 10,000 miles in the mouth of a graveyard And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain You're gonna fall Oh, what did you see, my blue-eyed son? And what did you see, my darling young one? I 
Saw a newborn baby with wild wolves all around it Saw a highway diamonds with nobody on it I saw a black branch with blood that kept dripping I saw a room full of men with their hammers a-bleeding I saw a white ladder all covered with water I saw ten thousand talkers whose tongues were all broken I saw guns and sharp swords in the hands of young children And it's hard, it's hard, it's hard And it's hard, it's hard rain gonna fall In the case of a hard rains are gonna fall, we first see two things. First, the chameleon Dylan adapting to the times and the people around him, and Dylan the artist resisting being typecast. It is the first glimmer of the divide that would later separate Dylan from his earliest devotees. They wanted to limit him, to reduce him to a specific issue, to a specific time and place. Dylan, Dylan was after bigger game, he wasn't a journalist commenting on the problems of the day, as he later accused Phil Oakes. Dylan sang about the plight of the innocent in a world beset by evil. His topic was the philosophical problem of evil. He would have been at home with the anonymous poets and scribes who wrote the book of Genesis attempting to understand how bad things happen to good people, or, more problematically, how it is that good people do bad things. As in, for example, the genuinely anti-war song, With God on Our Side, which, like much of Dylan's work, can be heard narrowly, anti-war, and more broadly as a screed against the righteous and self-righteous who use their creed to rationalize their hypocrisy and to justify themselves to themselves. First sung as a duet with Joan Baez at the Newport Folk Festival in July 1963, the song sings, Oh, my name, it is nothing, my age, it means less. The country I come from is called the Midwest. I was taught and brought up there the laws to abide and that the land that I live in has God on its side. Again, Dylan pivots from the topical to the universal, exploring the ambiguity of moral judgment. Here is Bob Dylan's With God on Our Side. My name, it ain't nothing My age, it means less The country I come from Is called the Midwest I start and brought up there The laws to abide and that the land that I live in Has got on its side All the history books tell it They tell it so well The cavalry's charged the Indian 
Germans fell The cavalry's charged The Indians died Oh, the country was young With God on its side Let's leave the very 60s anti-war songs behind for a moment and shift topics. Very early in his career, Dylan sang of civil rights in a number of songs, but two merit special note. One became a classic anthem of the civil rights movement, the other a stark portrayal of Jim Crow injustice and an indictment of those who acquiesced to it. The latter is the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll. The former, of course, is blowing in the wind. In Hattie Carroll... Dylan sings of the murder of Hattie Carroll, a 51-year-old black woman tending bar, who was killed in 1963 by a 24-year-old white boy, William Billy Zanzinger, who didn't think she served him fast enough. Hattie Carroll died from a stroke after Zanzinger hit her with his cane, trying to spur her to move faster. Zanzinger was convicted of manslaughter and served six months in the county jail. Zanzinger might have done his six months, but he wasn't reformed, Years later, he surfaced in a scandal about abusing poor black people in various real estate dealings. Dylan's song sings, In the courtroom of honor, the judge pounded his gavel to show that all's equal and that the courts are on the level, and that the strings in the books ain't pulled and persuaded, and that even the nobles get properly handled. Well, rather than me read you the lyrics, let's listen to Bob Dylan singing The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll. Williams and Zinger killed poor Hattie Carroll With a cane that he twirled around his diamond ring finger At a Baltimore hotel society gathering And the cops was called in And his weapon took from him As they rode him in custody Down to the station And booked Williams and Zinger For first degree murder but you who philosophize disgrace And criticize all fears Take the rag away from your face Now ain't the time for your tears Williams and Zinger who had 24 years Owns a tobacco farm of 600 acres With rich, wealthy parents who provide and protect him In high office relations in the politics of Maryland Reacting to his deed with a shrug of his shoulders And swear words and sneering in his tongue it was a snarling And in a matter of minutes on bail was out walking. Dylan's most famous civil rights song's essential question remains unanswered. In 2021, as we struggle with Black Lives Matter, a resurgent white supremacist movement supported by a former president of the United States, and a growing refusal by white people to want to understand black history, we still don't know how many roads, how many years, and how many times will have to be traveled and gone by before we know the answer of racial justice and peace? Recorded by just about everyone, 
From Pete Seeger to Joan Baez to Stevie Wonder to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and a major hit for Peter, Paul, and Mary, Blowing in the Wind asks, How many roads must a man walk down before you can call him a man? Yes, and how many years can some people exist before they're allowed to be free? The answer, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Here is Bob Dylan doing Blowing in the Wind. How many roads must a man walk down Before you call him a man How many seas must the white dove sail Before she sleeps in the sand Isn't how many times must the cannonballs fly Before they're forever banned The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind Yes, and how many years can a mountain exist Before it is washed to the sea Yes, and how many years can some people exist Before they're allowed to be free Yes, and how many times can a man turn his head And pretend that he just doesn't see The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind Dylan also pursued the issue of black rights in 1975's Hurricane, about boxer Reuben Hurricane Carter, who was framed by the police for a triple murder in Patterson, New Jersey in 1966. Although dogged by accusations of inaccuracy, the song resonated, and Carter was ultimately freed in 1985 when a judge ruled that the original prosecution had been based on racism rather than reason. Global Summit 13 begins on November 1st, presenting a lineup packed with outstanding speakers. In addition to former President George W. Bush, on Thursday, November 11th, Doris Kearns Goodwin returns to the Jefferson Podium to discuss the New Deal to the Great Society, FDR to LBJ. And on Monday, November 1st, Clayola Brown, president of the A. Philip Randolph Institute in Washington, D.C., Brown speaks on the impact of systemic racism in communities of color. Her presentation will be moderated by DeWitt Walton, a union leader from Pittsburgh. Later that week, Camille Busset of the Brookings Institution and a previous Jefferson presenter will speak on November 4th about the power of policy reform to address racial justice in Erie. Remember, tickets can be purchased at the Jefferson Society website, www.jeserie.org, or by calling the Society at 814-459-8000. Hurry, seating is limited. Dylan sang of the many issues Global Summit 13's presenters will discuss, war and peace and racism as the virus in the American dirt, as Ty Saiduli called it, 
But his chief concerns were always for the people, as he sang about poverty and prosperity and the gulf between. With roots firmly anchored in classic Midwestern progressivism and populism, Dillon also sang of the people among whom he grew up, voicing solidarity for workers' rights in Maggie's Farm, on which he said he wasn't going to work no more. In North Country Blues, he voiced solidarity with miners of the North Country where he grew up who he felt had been abandoned by shifting economic tides, in particular globalism, which he opposed. Come and gather round friends and I'll tell you a tale When the red iron our pits are under plenty Put the cardboard filled windows and old men on the benches Tell you now that the whole town is empty In the north end of town my own children have grown Well I was raised on the other In the wee hours of youth my mother took sick And I was brought up by my brother The iron ore poured as the years passed the door The drag lines and shovels he was humming Till one day my brother failed to come home The same as my father before him And he famously voiced solidarity for small Midwestern farmers struggling to survive in the ballad of Hollis Brown. Hollis Brown, he lived on the outside of town. Hollis Brown, he lived on the outside of town. With his wife and five children and his cabin broken down He looked for work and money and he walked a ragged mile He looked for work and money and he walked a ragged mile Your children are so hungry that they don't know how to smile Your baby's eyes look crazy, they're a-tugging at your sleeve Your baby's eyes look crazy, they're a-tugging at your sleeve 
He'll walk the floor and wonder why with every breath you breathe. The rats that got your flower, bad blood it got your mare. The rats that got your flower, bad blood it got your mare. If there's anyone that knows, is there anyone that cares? Still, Dylan's two most reverberating protest songs remain the eponymous 1964's The Times They Are a Changin' and Masters of War. With their generational myopia, Rolling Stone's reader poll ranked Masters of War number one on its top ten protest songs of all time, it was one of four Dylan songs on the list, the other three being Hurricane, Blowin' in the Wind, and The Times They Are a-Changin'. Written in 1962 or 1963, Masters of War took its melody from the early American folk tune Nottoman Town, which, unknown to Dylan, had been part of veteran folk singer Gene Ritchie's family's repertoire of songs for generations. Dylan later paid Ritchie a settlement for use of the melody. It is one of Dylan's most explicitly judgmental songs, in which he gives the masters, who'd kill us all in their pursuit of personal gain, in which he gives the masters no quarter. They are all to be condemned. The song was picked up as an anti-Vietnam War screed when, in fact, it predates America's large-scale involvement in Vietnam by several years. It was actually inspired by President Eisenhower's farewell address in which he warned against the military-industrial complex. As Dylan said in a 2001 interview with USA Today's Edna Gunderson, intellectuals and others say Masters of War is supposed to be a pacifistic song against war. It's not an anti-war song. It's speaking against what Eisenhower was calling the military-industrial complex. That spirit was in the air, and I picked it up. Dylan sings, Come, you masters of war, you that build the big guns, you that build the death planes, you that build all the bombs, you that hide behind walls, you that hide behind desks, I just want you to know I can see through your masks. Here's Dylan doing a clip from Masters of War. Come, you masters of war. You that build the big guns. You that build the death planes. You that build all the bombs. You that hide behind walls. It hide behind discs I just don't want you to know I can see through your masks You that never done nothing But built to destroy You play with my world Like it's your little toy you put a gun in my hand And you hide from my eyes And you turn and run farther When the fast bullets fly Like Judas of old You lie and deceive A world war can be won you want me to believe But I see through your eyes And I see through your brain 
Like I see through the water that runs down my drain Covered by a proverbial laundry list of singers ranging from Nina Simone to Burl Ives, ranked number 59 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time, in the times they are a-changin', Dylan explicitly set out to write an anthem for the times. In doing so, it became the anthem of the counterculture and earned him the title Voice of a Generation, which he later, in fact, almost immediately, rejected. Here is a clip from the times they are a-changin'. Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone Or the times they are a-changing Writers and critics who prophesize with your pen And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin And there's no telling who that it's naming Was the loser now will be later to win For the times they are a-changing Senators, congressmen, please heed the call Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled The battle outside raging Will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times they are a-changing Well, one can hardly argue whether or not the times have indeed changed these past now almost 60 years, but it remains to be seen if they changed in quite the way Dylan or his followers imagined. While the players' complexions and genders have altered, the behavior of those in power, whether economic or political, seems eerily similar to those whom Dylan challenged. Trying to sort all that out would lead us into a moral thicket of questions about the perfectibility of human nature and the presence of evil in human society. Is the world a safer, saner, more egalitarian place than it was in 1961? Or has much changed on the surface while leaving the core untouched? It would lead us back to a hard rains are going to fall, the problem of evil and the larger question of whether or not human moral progress is possible. We'll not try to answer those questions in a mere 15 minutes, but one thing that happened almost immediately after the times they are a change in appearance was Dylan's renunciation of being labeled a protest singer his renunciation of being labeled the voice of a generation. As his comments 40 years later in the Gunderson interview suggest, Dylan quite early felt he was being both misheard and limited by listeners and critics labeling him. He might have originally entered into the folk music milieu and protest genre because it appealed to his progressive instincts and also seemed like a good career move. 
The folk movement of the late 1950s and early 1960s had a brief stay at the top of the pop charts, and Dylan, who among the many things he is, is a careerist. As a careerist, thinking he saw an opportunity meshing with his innate interests, he seized it. As Dylan told Nat Hentoff in a seminal 1964 New Yorker article, The Crack and Shake and Break and Sounds, Dylan quickly saw folk and protests' limitations. In the article, based on an interview with Hentoff during the recording session for Dylan's fourth album, Another Side of Bob Dylan, Dylan told Hentoff, There aren't any finger-pointing songs in here. Those records I've already made. I'll stand behind them. But some of that was jumping into the scene to be heard, and a lot of it was because I didn't see anybody else doing that kind of thing. Now a lot of people are doing finger-pointing songs. You know, pointing to all the things that are wrong. Me, I don't want to write for people anymore. You know, be a spokesman. From now on, I want to write from inside me. When Hantoff pointed out to Tom Wilson, Dylan's recording engineer and producer, that there were no protest songs in the set they were recording that night, Wilson replied, Those early albums gave people the wrong idea. Basically, he's in the tradition of all lasting folk music. I mean, he's not a singer of protest so much as he is a singer of concern about people. A singer of concern about people. Wilson made the most important point and got at the heart of Dylan's appeal. Dylan sings about people. All of his songs are about people and, at the risk of a pretentious turn of phrase, the human condition. Dylan didn't want to be straight-jacketed within a genre. He wanted to explore what it was he had inside himself to become. To do that, he had to move on. He had to leave the narrow folk protest genre in which he had begun in order to discover what he had within himself to be. He's been doing that for 60 years. While those he started with have faded, his 1997 album Time Out of Mind won, in addition to two others, the Grammy for Album of the Year. In June 2020, his 39th studio album, Rough and Rowdy Ways, was released to critical praise. All those years ago, two songs and another side of Bob Dylan hinted at his farewell to overt protest music and pointed in the direction he was headed. It ain't me, babe and my back pages. Although it appears to be a song about a jilted lover, or a lover jilting a lover, many observers heard It Ain't Me, Babe, as Dylan rejecting being slotted as herald of a generation, telling his followers, It ain't me you're looking for. Dylan sings, Go away from my window, leave at your own chosen speed, I'm not the one you want, babe, I'm not the one you need. Here is Bob Dylan doing It Ain't Me, Babe. Go away from my window Leave at your own chosen speed I'm not the one you want, babe I'm not the one you need You say you're looking for someone Who's never weak but always strong To protect you and defend you Whether you are right or wrong Someone to open each and every door But it ain't me, babe No, 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 it ain't me, babe It ain't me you're looking for, babe Thank you. 
Go lightly from the ledge, babe Go lightly on the ground I'm not the one you want, babe I'll only let you down Less metaphorical, more direct, is My Back Pages, in which Dylan seems to criticize his earlier music's own self-seriousness, noting that he was too naive to realize he'd become my enemy in the instant that I preach, too naive to realize that he'd become a self-ordained professor, too serious to fool. He implicitly vows to move past all of that, for, in a powerful inversion, he rejects the faux maturity of assumed enlightenment for a youthful openness to experience. I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. As Dylan sings, from my back pages, Crimson flames tied through my ears, rolling high and mighty traps pounced with fire on flaming roads. Using ideas as my maps, we'll meet on the edges soon, said I. Proud neath heated brow, ah, but I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. Here's Dylan doing a clip from My Back Pages. Crimson flames tied through my ears Rolling high and mighty traps Pounced with fire on flaming roads Using ideas as my maps We'll meet on edges soon, said I Proud neath heated brow Ah, but I was so much older then I'm younger than that now Half-wracked prejudice leaped forth Ripped down all hate I screamed Lies that life is black and white Spoke for my skull I dreamed Romantic facts of musketeers Foundationed deep somehow Ah, but I was so much older then I'm younger than that now Today's sidebars have been short promos promoting the Jefferson Educational Society's Global Summit 13, which runs from Monday, November 1st, to Friday, November 12th. Headlined by former President George W. Bush, it also features an outstanding array of speakers. Andrew Card and Mac McLarty will lead a panel discussion of former White House Chiefs of Staff on Wednesday, November 10th, and another panel of three women historians and journalists will look at the history and role of First Ladies on Monday, November 8th. And Global Summit 13 will conclude on Friday, November 12th, with Robert Pape, a political scientist at the University of Chicago, discussing political violence in America and the implications for democracy. Pape will also receive the Society's Thomas B. Hagen Dignitas Award for 2021. It's a great lineup. Do yourself a favor and try to get to at least two or three of these superb presentations. That's the Jefferson Educational Society's Global Summit 13 this November. 
Remember, tickets can be purchased at the Jefferson Society website, www.jeserie.org, or by calling the Society at 814-459-8000. Hurry, seating is limited. So, was or is Bob Dylan a protest singer? Well, as we said at the beginning of the program, yes, no, and yes. Yes, in his original incarnation as a young man who wanted to be a singer, he seized folk's brief pop moment, fused his Midwestern progressive roots favoring the downtrodden and those who work the soil, with his admiration for Woody Guthrie and became the child, he was scarcely 22 when he first became famous, became the child prodigy star of the early 1960s anti-bomb pro-civil rights folk music movement. And, also, no, he was not a protest singer, as he instinctively sensed that this was a reductionist trap. Avoiding the trap, both overtly in interviews and metaphorically in songs such as All I Really Want to Do, It Ain't Me, Babe, Maggie's Farm, My Back Pages, and Chimes of Freedom, Dylan rejected the limiting role and pointed in the direction he was going, which he then made explicit in his next three albums, 1965's Bringing It All Back Home and Highway 61 Revisited, which opened with Like a Rolling Stone, later listed number one on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time, and then he concluded that transition with 1966's double album Blonde on Blonde. And then, yes, yes again, as the body of his work these past 50-plus years validated Tom Wilson's observation, in that long-ago recording session for Another Side of Bob Dylan, that Dylan's songs share a concern for people. He is concerned for people. At the end of the day, Dylan is a humanist, not a humanitarian, not a do-gooder, but a humanist in the best sense of the word. He is concerned about humans. He is concerned about people. He has spent his life singing that concern in some of the most memorable songs of the century. Mr. Tambourine Man, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, Tangled Up in Blue, Shelter from the Storm, Just Like a Woman, I Want You, Farewell Angelina, John Wesley Harding, and literally, literally dozens more. As the century turned, Dylan kept growing and expanding his repertoire, in particular with Things Have Changed, which won both an Academy Award and a Golden Globe for Best Original Song in 2001 as part of the soundtrack for the film Wonder Boys. In his award speech, broadcast from Sydney, Australia, where he was on tour, Dylan said, I want to thank the members of the Academy who were bold enough to give me this award for this song, which obviously is a song that doesn't pussyfoot around or turn a blind eye to human nature. Here's a clip from Things Have Changed. I'm out of rage I used to care But 
Dylan continued his 21st century resurgence with 2020's rough and rowdy ways, I Contain Multitudes, in which, in which Dylan channeled Walt Whitman, who sang, Do I contradict myself? Very well. Then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. Here's a clip from Dylan's I Contain Multitudes. Today and tomorrow And yesterday too The flowers are dying Like all things do Follow me close I'm going to Berlin Ali I'll lose my mind if you don't come with me I fuss with my hair And I fight blood feuds I contain multitudes Got a telltale heart Like Mr. Poe Got skeletons in the walls of people you know I'll drink to the truth And the things we said I'll drink to the man that shares your bed I paint landscapes And I paint nudes I contain multitudes At 80, he's still out there singing his concern for people. So, yes, no, and... Yes, again. Bob Dylan's a protest singer, but he's also so much more, for he's younger than that now. The American Tapestry, rich in its many threads and stories, challenging 21st century Americans to remember our ideals and to live up to the better angels of our nature. I'm Andrew Roth, scholar-in-residence at the Jefferson Educational Society in Erie, Pennsylvania. Thank you for listening. Remember, past episodes can be found on the WQLN website, NPR One, Spotify, Google, and other podcast sites. Also, remember, Global Summit 13 begins Monday, November 1st and runs for two weeks in Erie. Check out the Jefferson Educational Society's website at jeserie.org for details and ticket information. Hope to see you at one of the events. Comments and questions can be sent to me at roth at jeserie.org. Thank you for listening to the American Tapestry Project. Thank you. WQLN NPR is here for you when you need us. And to our members, thank you for being here for WQLN too. If you're not a member yet, please become one at wqln.org.